Hello everyone, welcome to the BYU Pre-Med Podcast, hosted by myself, Kai Anderson, where we will discuss everything you need to know to become a well-rounded, well-prepared medical school applicant. Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode today. Today our topic is the MCAT, and there's so much we can talk about here, but I'm going to be covering five topics that most people have questions about. So those five topics are going to be first, how to register and when to register for the MCAT. The next is going to be what's on the MCAT actually. And going through that, I'm also going to talk about specific courses at BYU that you should take to prepare for the MCAT. Then I'm going to talk about how the MCAT is scored and how much does my MCAT score matter. And then lastly, we'll wrap up with a few ways on how to prepare for the MCAT. And obviously that last one's a pretty big topic. So we're just going to stay very broad, talk about when you should start preparing and things like that, because as you probably are already aware, there's so many resources out there to start preparing. So first, let's talk about how to register for the MCAT and when to do that. So typically, if you're looking to take the MCAT in the summer before you're applying to medical school, or sorry, if you're looking to apply to med school in the summer, you're going to be wanting to take the MCAT in no, no later than about the middle of June. Okay. And so if you're looking for those good times kind of between May and June there or earlier, you're going to want to register as soon as you can. And so the way you can be prepared to do this is you're going to create an account with MCAS, which is for most med schools in America. It's what the MCAT uses as well. And so once you create an account on MCAS, you're going to go to their specific section about preparing for the MCAT. And there's a specific page that you can find. It's very easy to find where you basically fill out beforehand your info. And why this is important is because when registration opens, you need to have that filled out previously in order to get your best chance at getting the date that you want to write the MCAT. And so once you have that filled out, then you're going to want to look to see when MCAT registration opens for you. I'm pretty sure most of these times are typically in October. Um, I I can't remember exactly when it was this last year, but um, I think it's usually towards the end of October that those open up. And so you want to know the exact day that it opens up for your locations. And then you want to make sure that you're going to be on that website, um, on the MCAT, MCAS website at least 10 minutes before it opens. I think they open at noon usually, so you're gonna wanna be on there at 11.50. And the reason this is, is because everybody who's on there 10 minutes early, 10 minutes before or earlier will be placed automatically and randomly in a queue to register for the MCAT. And this queue is gonna be huge. There's tens of thousands of people on there that are all going to be trying to register to take the MCAT. So to give yourself the best chance at getting a good date that you want, you want to be on there at least 10 minutes before so you can get a, you know, a good chance of getting a good spot in the queue. Then eventually your turn will come up in the queue. And once it's your turn, since you already have that all, all that other information filled out, you're just going to simply select the day closest that works for you. And like I said, I wouldn't recommend taking the MCAT any later than the beginning portion of June, just because it takes a couple of weeks to get your scores back. And with med schools having rolling admissions, you're going to want to be able to attach those MCAT scores to your application no later than the end of June to give yourself the best chance of getting into all the schools that you're applying to. Okay, so now let's talk about what's on the MCAT. 
So just briefly, the MCAT is an online seven and a half hour test that includes breaks and it's made to test your knowledge and also your critical thinking skills. And I can't put enough emphasis on critical thinking skills throughout this whole podcast. So just if if there's any things that you think you can do to increase your th- critical thinking skills, do those things. I'd say research is a really great way to increase your critical thinking. Also reading and discussing what you've read, uh, whether that's in you know scientific articles or in philosophy or the humanities, whatever, just find find something that you can exercise your critical thinking skills on. So anyway, so we're testing on knowledge and critical thinking skills. And the way that it's going to test on these things for the majority of questions is it's going to give you a, a small source. It's usually like, you know, four or five paragraphs. There'll usually be some charts or figures that you'll have to look at too. And then it'll ask you, you know, four to five questions about that source. And the sources will usually contain information that is new to you. And so you're going to have to use what you already know and then what you learn from this question stem and put it together to be able to answer the questions. And this is a foreign concept to most of exams that you're going to take at BYU. And, you know, lots of them are very knowledge based exams. And so this is just going to take some practice. And so taking lots of practice tests is is really important. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay, so now let's get into what's actually on there. So the MCAT's broken into four sections, and the first section is known as the chem-phys section. So that stands for chemistry and physics section. So this section is going to cover a lot of general chemistry, also organic chemistry, and while it's not going to be the only place it shows up, you're also going to see some, some biochemistry on there as well. And then also, of course, your physics. So talking about ways that you can be prepared for these sections with courses at BYU, I would definitely recommend, you know, Chem 105, 106. You're going to have to take those anyway. So make sure you're taking those before the MCAT. And then also your OCHEMs. I think they're 351 and 352. And then, like I said, Biochem will be helpful for this section, but it'll also be more helpful for another section. So I'll mention it here, but just make sure you take Biochem before you take the MCAT. It will help you out so much. I started taking practice tests and I was so lost on lots of the biochem questions. After I took biochem, obviously they got a lot easier. Okay, and then for physics, I would say most of the questions are going to be things that are in physics 106. So don't just take 105 and be like, okay, I know my physics for the MCAT because lots of the things involving light and circuits and decay and all that, that's all going to be covered in physics 106. So highly recommend taking that one as well as 105. I mean, 105 is a prereq for 106, but make sure you take both of those before taking the MCAT. Okay, so this chem-phys section, it's comprised of 59 questions, and this is the same as the the third and fourth sections as well, and you're given 95 minutes to answer them. This might just be a personal thing for me, but I find this section the hardest to answer all the questions in the time frame because you don't get a calculator for this exam. And obviously the you need a lot more you need to do a lot more calculations in chemistry and physics than you do for, you know, biology and, and psychology and sociology. And so you're gonna have to be doing a lot of mental math on here. You can write on a on a piece of paper while you're going through this. But those, you know, figuring out equations and things can take a second. And so once again, just practicing this section, being able to do those equa- or those formulas and equations quickly will help you a lot in being able to stay within the time frame here. 
Okay, so after you finish the first section, there's going to be an optional 10-minute break that you can take. Um, this break starts as soon as you submit your answers. And so it's not like if you finish with 20 minutes left on this section that you now get a 30-minute break unless you just sit there for the 20 minutes at the end of your exam and wait for the time to run out and then take a 10-minute break. So as soon as you submit your answers, you do now have the opportunity to take a 10-minute break if you want. I have found in my own practice that it's really useful to take a quick break. You're doing so much reading. This test is long. It's nice to be able to get a little refresh, get up, get moving, you know, have a drink of water, start feeling a little bit better before you go into that next section. And I'd say especially for this next section, because the second section is all about critical thinking and reading passages. And it gets a lot of attention from lots of med medical schools. This is one of the ones they look at the most. If anybody listening is applying to schools in Canada, this is really the only section they actually look at on the MCAT. They're just looking for a, a good score on this section. It's known as the CAR section, and that stands for Critical Analysis and Reasoning Skills. And so in this section, you're going to be reading through passages from humanities and social sciences that you probably have no idea what they're really talking about once you jump into them. Lots of them will be different views on philosophy or someone critiquing someone else's critique of a piece of artwork that you've never heard of. Okay. So they can be some really obscure things. And the important thing with these is don't get panicked. If you don't know what's what they're talking about, you're not supposed to know what they're talking about. The MCAT writers are not expecting you to, to have knowledge in these obscure things that they're picking. And so because of this, no outside knowledge will be useful for these questions. Even if it is something that you do know something about, don't try to use your your knowledge going into it to answer the questions but see what it is that they're getting at in the passage that they gave you okay because lots of times you're looking for a specific point of view that was presented by a certain person instead of maybe the general outlook on something and so stick to what the passage says all the information that you need to answer the questions will be in the passage Okay, so like I mentioned, the first, third, and fourth sections are all 59 questions in 95 minutes. This section is a little bit different. It's 53 questions, so it's six questions shorter, and it's 90 minutes. And this section can also be a little bit tricky with time if you are a slow reader. And also these things can be very dense to read. And so reading difficult material quickly is great practice to be able to make sure you can keep to the time, the time limit for this exam. Okay, so now once you're done the first two sections, you're going to now get an optional 30-minute break. And they usually call this a lunch break or something. You know, this is a time where you can get some food in you, get refueled. You're going to be drained at this point, honestly. So just take some time, get up, get moving again, keep that blood flowing. And so that way when you go back in, take full advantage of your breaks. Don't just, you know, go on. Well, you won't be able to go on your phone anyway because you'll be writing the exam. But take full advantage of them. Um, use them to be refreshed by the time you go back in there. Okay, so now that leads us into the third section of the MCAT. And this section is known as the bio-biochem section. So we're covering biology and biochemistry in this one. This section is also very heavily passage-based. Okay, so CARS is completely passage-based. I'd say the first section and the last section, you can answer quite a few questions with just knowledge that you already have. But with so many topics in biology that there's just there's just too much that to know you know going into it and you're going to be having to interpret graphs and things as you're looking at this too and so 
even though it is very passage based, I found that this one, the time limit isn't as much of a restraint just because you're not making as many calculations, even though you are having to do maybe a little bit more reading than what you would in the first section. So for this section, courses that would be helpful at BYU, I can't say that any it's as it's as cut and dry as the chemphys section, but here's my take on what courses you should take. So first off, cell 120, your intro biology class is a definitely must take for this section. And if you haven't taken it already, take it and take it seriously. Because even though you know you're you're gonna probably easily get a good grade in this class, just make sure you really understand what you're learning in it, because that'll give you a really solid footing for understanding a wide breadth of questions. Like I said, these questions sometimes maybe aren't as deep, but there's just such a, a, a vast amount of questions that they can ask in this section that having that really wide understanding and baseline that you get in cell 120 is super important. Another course that's gonna be really, really helpful is physiology. This is a course typically that people would take after anatomy. You don't have to take anatomy. Honestly, it's not going to be super helpful for the MCAT. It might be helpful for med school later on, but physiology is going to be a lot more useful than anatomy for, for the MCAT. And I'd say these two courses, along with biochem, obviously, are going to be going to have the highest volume of questions related to them. But there's some other classes that I think would be really are really helpful as well. And these would be your molecular bio 240 class genetics as well there's some lots of genetic questions on on this section sometimes and although they are usually pretty simple punnett square or understanding you know sex linked versus autosomal traits it, it's still definitely helpful to feel really comfortable with those questions by taking the genetics which is you know, plant wildlife science 340 and then the last class i think is super important that you take for this section is cell 360 and this class is just called cell biology, as far as I'm aware. And I'm just finishing it up right now. They place a lot of emphasis on being able to understand papers in that class and critically thinking through short passages. And that's all the MCAT is. And so I found that that class has helped me not just with this section of the MCAT, but all sections of the MCAT. So I definitely highly recommend taking that one. It's required by quite a few majors that are common amongst BYU student or BYU pre-med students. So definitely I would recommend since you're going to have to take it anyway, take it before you take the MCAT. All right. So that covers our third section of the MCAT. And then going into the last section, you'll once again be given a 10 minute break. I'll just say it again, take advantage of your break, get up, get moving. And then our last section is known as the psych social section. So this is psychology and sociology. It's going to have the same layout, 59 questions in 95 minutes. And I found that this section usually takes the shortest amount of time just because the discrete questions that you're given. So th there are mostly passage-based questions, but there's also discrete questions in all the sections except for cars. And I found that these discrete questions are usually you either know it or you don't. You can't use calculations to try to figure out right answers. And so this section usually moves along pretty quickly. The recommended courses for this one are definitely Psychology 111 and Sociology 111. And while both of these courses are a good start, they're not going to get you everything you need um, for the MCAT. And so especially for this section, I'd recommend having some sort of third-party resource, whether that's a Kaplan book, 
an online course, obviously via an online course is probably going to cover all those sections, but I think the most helpful part will be for this psych social section, just because they, they know what's going to be on the MCAT about it. And you can make sure you have all those terms memorized, you know, the different parts of the brain, you know, about neurotransmitters and all that fun stuff. Going along with that, definitely neuro courses are going to help you out with this, but you're obviously not going to be taking those if you're not a neuroscience major. But I would say Neuro 205 and Neuro 316 uh, are both very helpful courses for all the, the psych stuff that's on this section. And I'd say also for this section, just practice so you understand what kind of topics you're going to be seeing on there. There's There's terms that they're going to test on every single time just because they're very common in the medical field. There, there's not a whole lot of variation that we have there. And so just finding the the connections there between psych and medicine are are important because those are the things that they're going to be testing on on the MCAT. Okay, so now that we've talked about the different sections on the MCAT, we're just going to go through briefly what your score means and how it's scored, okay? So just like how the content's broken up into four sections, your score is also going to be broken up into four sections. And so the best possible score you can earn on each section is a 132 which means your highest score possible is a 528. And before I go into what's good, what's bad here, I just like to say that med schools usually prefer a score that's balanced in all sections. For example, like getting four 129s, like a 129 in each section, instead of let's say like two 124s and two 132s. Okay, they're gonna wanna see that you're well-rounded in all these areas, especially in cars, like I mentioned earlier, you don't want that to be you know, significantly lower than your other scores. And so these numbers are based off sort of the amount of questions that you're getting right and wrong, but it's done on a percentile amongst all other students. So anything higher than a 520 total score, like I said earlier, the highest score possible is a 528. So anything higher than a 520 is 99th percentile. So there's a lot of upper room there. Um, where there's not going to be too much of a difference. You know, it might be one or two questions between a, a 520 and a 524 or something like that. Or one or two, sorry, one or two questions on each section. So like I said, 520 is going to be 99th percentile. 75th percentile is a 509. And then 50th percentile is a 501.6. I think the lowest score you can get is either in the 480s or 490s. Um, but we don't want to concern ourselves with what's happening, you know, below the 50th percentile. Okay, so now looking at these scoring, the obvious question is what score do I need to get into med school? And obviously this depends a lot. And granted that your score is pretty even in each section, it's still just going to depend on the school. And so DO schools usually have an average score of people that getting in so this is average matriculant score is what they call it, usually between like a 507 to 513, depending on the school. So if we're looking at percentiles, that's going to be right around the 75th percentile or, you know, 80th percentile. While most MD schools are going to be on the lower end, like a 512 average, and then, you know, your schools like NYU and UCSF and schools like that, they're going to be around, you know, the 521 average. So in the 99th percentile. And don't get too worried about this. You know, you might be thinking, man, all these students applying and I need to be in the, you know, the 90th percentile to get into an MD school. Just remember that BYU is a great university and you're going to be well prepared to take this as long as you put in the work. It's not impossible for you to score really, really well on the MCAT as long as you're willing to put in the work. 
And an another thing to note here is that the MCAT is not the end-all be-all of the application. Obviously, these scores are just an average. Most schools have a minimum that they want you to meet, but that minimum is usually pretty low. For DO schools, it's going to be like a 500 or a 501, maybe a 503. And then for MD schools, you know, we're looking at like a minimum of like 507, 508-ish usually. Obviously, that's going to differ between schools, but the ones that I've looked at, that's kind of the 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 ballpark. So as long as your score is decent, your MCAT score isn't going to be what gets you in anywhere, and it's not going to be what keeps you out anywhere. You need a good enough score that they'll look at you, you know, if you're below their minimum or, you know, just not even in the ballpark. Your, your application isn't going to get looked at. But if you get a 528 on the MCAT, but everything else in your application sucks, you're still not going to get into the school. And so while it's important to spend time on the MCAT, it's so important to spend time on those other aspects of your application, like making sure that your personal statement's good, spending lots of time pre-writing your secondaries, making sure your secondaries are great, working on interview skills for interviews. And then of course, as we've talked about in the past, you know, having those volunteer hours, that research experience, job shadowing and all that. Okay, so now that we've covered through that, we're going to just talk about the last topic for the day and that's ways to prepare for the MCAT. And I'm not gonna spend time going through and comparing each course because I haven't taken all these courses. I've used Kaplan. I used their on-demand course. I found it super useful. My scores have improved a ton. Their content videos are great. I just got the on-demand one. I know they offer in-person as well. It is very pricey. Um, I'll let you look up those prices and and see if it's in your ballpark. But you know, other ones are going to be around the same ballpark as well, such as like Princeton, Blueprint, things like that. If you're like, I am not willing to spend money on the MCAT, there's other there's other ways to prepare for the MCAT. Um, a, a previous BYU student who got a perfect score on the MCAT created an MCAT self prep course, it's called. And while it doesn't walk you through things as much as those other courses do, it is significantly cheaper. You can't even do it for free. There's a lot of things that he advertises on there that will be useful for very small amounts of money. And you can get tutoring there as well for, for a fairly cheap price. But yeah, so there's lots of, lots of different opportunities. It's just what's going to work for you. I thought the MCAT self prep would work for me. I started it. I wasn't seeing any increase in my score. I was working my butt off trying to get better at it. And I just wasn't seeing the results that I was wanting. And so I decided to, to splurge on the Kaplan course. And I, I found that that has worked best for me. But I know that the MCAT self prep course or similar choices like that um, can be really helpful. My advice would be to not spend money on something without doing a little bit of research on it. Okay. And this isn't just having like one person tell you, oh yeah, that one's awesome. But like figure out, you know, look at reviews, see what people are saying about it and, and be a little wary. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are trying to make money and you don't want to get scammed into a course that's not going to raise your score at all. Lots of these courses have guarantees of increasing your score by a certain number of points or you get the course for free. And so that's, that's really good to look at too. And I would say for whatever course you choose or whatever your plan is, the most important thing that you do is take tons of practice tests. And this is where you're just going to have to spend money on them. Lots of them are included in these courses. I know you can buy other tests as well, but just do as many as you can. I would recommend taking at least eight practice tests in an actual testing environment. You know, do it in one day. 
take your breaks in there, but sit down and actually pretend like you're taking the MCAT to get used to that testing environment in one sitting so that you will be able to have the endurance you need when you actually take it. I'd say the hardest thing about the MCAT isn't necessarily the content on there. It's just the sheer volume and length of it that's going to cause you to miss silly things, you know, miss uh, which of the following is not, and then you're going to be confused and, and get the question wrong. Okay, so just practice that endurance. It sucks, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. All right, guys, so that's all we wanted to talk about today for the big, ugly beast of the MCAT. But thanks for joining. And as always, if you found it useful, please share this with your other pre-med friends. And let's try to generate an atmosphere of collaboration at BYU amongst us instead of competition, because we can all do great and get into med school. Thanks for joining.